Hello and welcome back to Spotlight on Women in Health Ventures, the podcast powered by Thea, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering women as entrepreneurs in healthcare. Today we're talking to Vernita Brown, CEO of Natalist. Natalist is a venture-backed women's health startup focused on supporting women from concept to conception. Their fertility products and resources are backed by science with a net zero plastic footprint. Prior to Natalist, Vernita spent a decade working with organizations and businesses like Teach for America and United Way in positions of leadership, asset management, program development, recruitment, and culture building. She has been recognized as one of Anderson Independent Male's 20 Under 40, Athena Young Professional of the Year, and Greenville's Best and Brightest. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. We're really looking forward to hearing your story and as it relates to building Natalist and building and maintaining team culture, as well as your your views on femtech. So to kick things off, you were the first employee. And so you and Haley, the founder, have built a great team and products to bring the company to where it is today. So how did you two first meet? Yeah, so we had both moved to Charleston a few years back, and we found ourselves in a pretty conservative community. So we sort of started to just find people who were more progressive, and we stumbled upon this group called the Progressive Transplants, which is just people who moved to South Carolina who, you know, have more progressive political views. And that group would get together once a month. This, of course, is pre-COVID. We would get together and have these monthly dinners to talk about things happening in our state and just different political perspectives. And we met through that group. And so when Hallie wanted to start Natalist, she sent an email out to the group and just said, hey, I want to start this company. If you know anybody who's smart and could work in this environment, send them my way. So I reached out to her and I said, hey, I'm smart. <laughs> and that was pretty much <laughs> kind of how we got going. Awesome. That's so great that there were groups like that. So what is the problem that Natalist is trying to tackle? Yeah, so for us, it's really twofold. One is miseducation. So there's a lot of just bad information that you'll find on the internet around fertility and pregnancy. And it's really sad because we live in this information age. And so everyone's just like, oh, just Google it. But everything that you just Google is not right. And it's not scientifically sound specifically when we're talking about issues pertaining to your health and fertility. So one is like miseducation. We want to be this source of truth for women who are at this stage of life. And then the second part is remedying poor product experiences. Hallie, she talks very openly about one of the products that she engaged with when she was on the earlier years of her fertility journey. And one of the products had a baby on it. It was a fertility-friendly lubricant that had a little baby on it. And as someone who was really struggling to have a child, that was just triggering for her. And, you know, she just said women deserve more thoughtful products that aren't going to trigger along their journey. They deserve products that they're going to enjoy interfacing with. And so really those two things have been the foundational pieces for us in building Natalist. And so what are some of the misconceptions about fertility that you touched on that you really 
are trying to hone in on and yeah. address through your products and through your information? The first one that comes to mind for me is around birth control cleanses, right? So most millennial women who are getting into this phase of life or who have been here for a couple of years, for the most part, grew up with very terrible sex education and then got on birth control and, and have been on birth control for years and years and years, like started birth control when I was 18, right? But what you'll find when you go on the internet is these fake birth control cleanses that basically try to sell you these teas and all these different things that say, you somehow messed this up for yourself by being on birth control for so long. And now you need to cleanse your body from that. And that's just scientifically not sound. And so dispelling those sort of myths is important for us. We go through every week top searched blog posts for us. And like in the top three every week is how soon can you get pregnant after being on the depot shot, right? And so these are things that women want to know and understand. But if you just do just like a easy Google search, you might find information that's not true. And so we just really want to give women the information in a simple way that they can understand that's true about their bodies. Exactly. It's not an easy task, I imagine, because women have been exposed to so much information online, it's hard to parse through what to trust and what not to. So how have you and Natalis tried to create buy-in from women and say, these are our products, they're scientifically backed, et cetera. How do you really convince these women? It's kind of a funny thing in this day and age, the way that people are connecting over Zoom and in these groups, Facebook groups and it's new territory for everybody to a certain degree. But for us, we try to leverage that. So we know that 80% of millennials use some form of social media and we reach our customers there often. We really try to be accessible for them there. People DM us all day, every day, mm. questions about fertility, questions about our products, questions about their individual health even. So for us, our strategy has been accessibility and meeting people where they are. That's one thing when you look at some of the incumbent brands that have been around for 50 years, they just aren't really doing well and they aren't really trying because I guess in some ways they might just feel like they're the only option. So why do they have to do anything better? But that's part of our whole value prop is just saying, no, women deserve better. 100%. I love that. Women do deserve better in all aspects of life. Yeah. Have you been tracking outcomes or gathering anecdotes from customer experiences? Yeah. So we track customer love and customer complaints every day. <laughs> and the cool thing though about building this from scratch and that being a big part of our value prop is we are incorporating that feedback into product development in real time. Mm -hmm. So of course we try to do user testing, but also we get DMs from people. Kind of going back to the content part of everything, if we get 25 DMs on a certain topic, then we're gonna do a post about it. We're gonna try to get more information out there. We did one this week, of course, Valentine's Day is upon us, but mm -hmm. we get a ton of DMs just about sex. like. Is your sex life over when you get pregnant and things of that nature? So we have 
our medical director write an article on this for us and just pull it out all the things that can contribute to your libido and let people know what to expect and just how their experience may differ just so they can go into it eyes wide open. I think it's helpful for the listeners to get a big sense of what are exactly the products that Natalis offers. And then along those lines, some of the challenges that you've encountered building Mm -hmm. these products. Yeah. So we're fertility and pregnancy. So we like to say supporting women from concept to conception. And so on the fertility side, we offer in vitro diagnostics like ovulation tests and pregnancy tests to really help women in learning their cycle and creating proof points for them. It's simple, but many women don't even know when they ovulate. Many women don't know their cycle. So just helping them to pin that down is really important. And then we also sell supplements for that crowd. So people who maybe have been trying for a while or who have unique reproductive health issues that need supplements to support a healthy diet, we sell supplements specifically for them. And then also we offer a fertility-friendly lubricant. So I mentioned that Hallie had that negative experience and that was just a product that we were really determined to offer our users as a different lubricant option that protects sperm. And then on the pregnancy side, we offer prenatal vitamins, but also last year we came out with our self-care line for pregnancy. And for us, that was a really big thing because your body is changing so much during that time in wonderful and exciting ways, but also tiring and terrifying ways. <laughs> and so just to offer women products that it's just like, hey, you know what? Take care of you. You're about to have 18 years of taking care of somebody else. So put your feet up and let's get the swelling down off those feet. You know, um, so um, that, those are the things that we offer on the pregnancy side right now. And then you mentioned what have been some of the challenges. I know everyone feels like they're a broken record at this point, but COVID. We've been around two years. We spent almost a year in R&D mode and then we launched. So we've been around only two years and we spent a year of that in quarantine. And that's been a challenge for our team in multiple ways. One, our manufacturing partners have had delays at every angle. You name it, there's been some type of delay. A raw material may run out and they can't get their hands on it again because this factory shut down due to COVID. And that, you know, our team has had a hard time doing testing because it's just a lot harder to coordinate mailing things and getting on a Zoom call and people are Zoomed out because they've been sitting on Zoom calls all day at work and, you know, that sort of thing. It does take a toll on your team. And and I have tried to be really sensitive to the fact that, yes, we have goals to reach as a company, but also we are all walking through a collective trauma right now. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody's not showing up how you feel like they should show up, just taking a step back and (laughs) extending some grace. Now, us being so young, it's kind of hard to pinpoint what some of those other challenges would have been without COVID, but I do feel really lucky that we have such an amazing team and people who just have grit and self-determination who are going to work hard and get it done regardless. I'm glad to hear that you have a team that is just so dedicated and set on the goal. And I'm sure you have played a huge role in setting that culture. (laughs) 
to ensure that people stay on the track. Another question I had was regarding the insurance reimbursement potential. If you wanted to pursue that route as a company, of course, that opens another can of worms. But in terms of accessibility, I think it would be a game changer. How do you feel about that? That's something that is not off the table for us. But it's certainly more sophisticated than a D2C sort of physical product offering, right? The interfacing with insurance companies. I wish I could just show you some of the workflows that we had drawn out in charts that we drawn out of, okay, once this money is received, then this has to go here. And then this has to go here. And this has to go here just to get a single reimbursement back from an insurance company. So again, it's not something that's off the table for us by any means, but in our earlier days, we just were like, you know what? Let's table that for now. (laughs) It creates more challenges for us, for sure. In the earlier stages of building Natalist and trying to raise money, Mm -hmm. I assume that the investors you talked to were primarily male. And like talking about a women's health, fertility-focused company, how did that process go? What were some of the challenges and what are some of the key takeaways from that experience? This one's kind of a hard one for us because our founder, Hallie, having spent a decade in San Francisco building relationships and also being an investor herself, had a really good list of folks that we should talk to early on. And women investors, most of the people that we pitched to were women who Hallie either knew personally or got connected to. So that wasn't so much our challenge. But that being said, I know that is the challenge for so many entrepreneurs, especially in this FinTech space is just getting men to warm up to the idea. But we were lucky in that instance. And who Hallie has aligned herself with over the last 15 years even, really became friends to us and were able to introduce us to even more people. And at that point, when we did our last angel round, we were able to just pretty much target women. And that is powerful for us as a brand to be able to say, we are funded by women and we are led by women and our customers. That was a really huge thing for us to be able to say that. So for those that weren't as lucky to have such a strong, strong network. Um, What would your advice be to women that are building their femtech company, but pitching to men? I think just using language that is easy to understand. I think one thing that has changed over the last like five, six years even is having this term femtech, right? 10 years ago, femtech wasn't a thing, right? But now it's kind of sexy. It's a whole category and men can get into that. And so I think one, appealing to that and two, really uplifting the fact that women spend so much money in this space. Women spend a ton of money on healthcare. Women make 95% of healthcare choices and purchases in their households. So This consumer is really, really powerful. And that should not be understated, I think, in pitching primarily men investors. 
Looking forward to the future of Natalis. What are your goals for the company and what can we look forward to seeing? This year is a huge year for us. We're going into a ton of retail locations. In fact, by the middle of this year, we'll probably be in a retailer near you. So that's so exciting for us um, because, I mean, obviously we get more exposure and we're seeing more customers and more customers have the opportunity to enjoy our products. But more than that, we have this opportunity to just continue to educate in the space, give women the things that they deserve, and to me, really, the sky is the limit because this line of products to me is just really a starting point. But our goal is really to just be disruptive in the space. <laughs> we launched in August of 2019 and we launched one product essentially, and it was a get pregnant bundle. And it was what we said would be what you need for one month of trying to get pregnant by December, one of the big incumbents in the space had launched a similar combination of products. And so it was like, at first glance, we were like, oh my God, they copied us. And then we were like, yes, they copied us <laughs> because we want to be disruptive and we want to show that women just deserve more thoughtfulness in the products that they are being offered and how they should experience and enjoy them. So yeah, I mean, for us, I can't say specifically where we'll land with certain things, but I just certainly feel like the sky is the limit and this opportunity to be in retail where the customer is. Like our customer, she is the woman who is scrolling on her phone right now, getting some ads sent to her on Instagram, but she's also the woman that wants to walk into Target and spend an hour. So we just feel like we need to be where she is and this year we'll really get the opportunity to do that and it's very one of the key points that you made Renita was regarding your experience with the an incumbent or a competitor of Natalist could you tell us more about how you approach competitors within this space and how would you advise folks who are in the midst of building their own ventures to structure competitor analysis that's a good question so there's like incumbents that we think about in terms of the old school players who have been on the shelves in CVS for a hundred years, right? And then there's these other companies that are more digitally native, young like us, and they're doing things in the space. And to them, I say, hey, it's good to see you here. I'm glad for us to have competition in space because it really just makes the world better for the millennial woman. Ultimately, anybody that is giving women more power over their own journey, that's a friend to Natalist in my book. We do do competitive analysis when we are considering a new product. So when we have new products in development, we do look at our competitors and what they're offering. And then we do surveys around like, hey, if we did a similar product, but we changed it in this way, would that make life easier or harder for you? The question that we really want to get to is how do we reduce friction for you? Whether it be engaging with the healthcare system or just engaging with this product, how do we reduce friction for that user? And so that all is a part of the same sort of analysis. And then 
on top of that, where brands are not directly competitive, we can do things like social media giveaways with them and co-promote. And I really love to see those opportunities. To me, it's a great problem to have more companies coming into this space. I'd like to shift the conversation more towards a discussion of leadership and building Natalist and a sense of culture. From looking at your background, you've spent quite a bit of time in the nonprofit sector in positions that involve management of human capital. Given your experiences, what do you think is the key to maintaining and, and building a very unique and impactful culture within your organization? One of the things that I've learned early on in my career, in fact, in the nonprofit sector, is that everybody shows up for a different reason. And I know that sounds kind of basic, but in the nonprofit sector, it was very striking to me because some people are showing up because they want to serve the poor, for example, right? Some people are showing up because they used to be poor. Some people are showing up because they want to be recognized for serving the poor. There's all these different reasons why people are showing up in the space. And I learned that everybody's reasons for showing up are valid. Whether it's the same reason I'm showing up or not, everybody's reasons for showing up are valid. Where the gold is, is when you are able to figure out why somebody's showing up and tie that to overall company objectives. So for me, when I think about managing human capital, really being able to lead people well, one of my primary objectives is always to find out why they're showing up. And me having that knowledge, essentially, I'll, I always have gasoline in the car of this person because I'm always going to go back to what is the thing that they ultimately want to accomplish and how do I tie that to the thing that we collectively need to accomplish. Totally agree with you. And I think it's a matter of aligning incentives at the end of the day. People are driven by their own interests as well as hopefully the company mission. But I think being able to really expand on, on what their priorities are and translating that to impact within the organization is just the right way to go. In frequenting a lot of folks, whether they be employees, fellow co-founders, what are qualities that you look for? when you're trying to bring on folks onto your team? Somebody who's internally motivated. In a startup, you just don't have the bandwidth to be trying to motivate people. In fact, I think it's kind of a waste of time to even try. Like, you need folks who can quickly grasp the vision and get on board and do what they need to do. The second thing really is people who are not like you. For me, a homogenous group is just not going to be a winning group because I know I don't know everything. So I don't need to hire another Vernita so I could have a good time with her. I need to hire, you know, a Suman or a Hallie, right, who has a completely different background who can say, yeah, Vernita, I see what you're saying, but also let me color that with this, what I'm saying, because then we just, we can reach farther, we can go faster. What do you think are the pitfalls of someone uh, within an organization in terms of red flags that you're wary about? 
Yeah, I think it's two things there too. Ego and entitlement. To be clear, it's one thing to know you're good, right? And like know you're good at something and be able to contribute that. But ego is a whole other animal. Ego entitlement together will bring drama. So you'll be able to sniff this out pretty easily. You know, seeing those red flags for what they are and just nipping it in the bud pretty easily. There's that saying that's like hire fast, fire fast kind of thing. <laughs> like if, if somebody like very quickly is just that ego and entitlement and drama, you just need to solve for it pretty immediately or it's going to slow you down. I couldn't agree more with you. Well, we really thank you for spending time with us this evening, sharing your story and how you have been able to help build Natalis to where it's today. And we're really excited to see where it goes. So as as a final question, wanted to ask if you have any last piece of advice for women that are trying to disrupt femtech like you are with Natalis? I mean, I don't know if this advice would be just for entrepreneurs trying to disrupt femtech. I think this is just good advice for entrepreneurs in general, but I think try to work with people I can trust. And that seems really simple, but for us at Natalist, we try to be serious about what we're doing, but we also try not to take ourselves too seriously. And just at the end of the day, I spend more time with these people than I do anyone else. And so I want to like them and I want to trust that they're going to be able to do their job and that they're going to have my back and that we're a small team. And if something goes wrong, that I can depend on them to step in. And so, again, it is really simple, but when thinking about building a team, working with people you like and trust is to me just, it's one of the most valuable things that you can do for yourself, for your quality of life, for your experience as an entrepreneur. In a startup, you need to habitually be moving fast. But if you don't trust the people that are working with you, you will not be able to move fast. Just Mm -hmm. be constantly doubting, are they going to do their part? And if they're going to let you down or not. So I think that's just a big thing to me. Thank you all for listening. Visit us on Instagram at Thea Healthcare, on Twitter at TheaHC, and on our website at TheaHC.org for more content and to join our vibrant community of young professionals, entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders in healthcare. Special thanks to our amazing audio editors, Ellie Park, Asim Jane, Nikita Gupta, and Katie Donahue. If you're enjoying our content, please consider supporting our podcast by donating at anchor.fm slash thea dash hc slash support.